Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Emerging Nine Golf Podcast. I am Mike Maroney, alongside Jay Woodson. And again, no McLean Boyd. He's now sick this week. We do know where he is. He is in Florida. He is sick in bed. Last week, we had no idea where he was. Just said, screw you guys. I'm not coming on the show. So um, you're stuck with another two-man show tonight. Just Jay and myself. I'm going to apologize right now off the bat. I have no idea the quality of this podcast. I am in a remote location in a hotel at the Lansdowne Resort in Northern Virginia. I am at the Middle Atlantic PGA SUPA meeting, as they might say in Boston, where I'm from. Is it S-U-P-A or is it? Is there an E-R on the end of that? No, it's S-U-P-A-H is how it's written, oh. I believe. Oh, okay. Got it. Super. Super. Uh, super. Super meeting. So I'm on sketchy hotel Wi-Fi right now. Uh, the sound's a little funny in here in my headset. So I apologize right now to the listeners. It, it might not be great quality. We're going to give you a show. Jay and I are here. We're ready to go. I am again. I'm, I'm here. Jay, I like to say I'm here growing the game. This is what us PJ professionals do. We grow the game, not like the live motherfuckers. We are growing the game here in Northern Virginia. This is last night. I wasn't here for it. Unfortunately, we had our Hall of Fame award ceremony, um, uh, annual award ceremony. Today, I was here this morning. Crack of dawn, I woke up and drove up here. We had our teaching coaching seminar. We had a vendor showcase, our annual spring meeting, cocktail reception, which I broke my one day a week drinking rule for February. I'm actually now on three consecutive days, unfortunately. So that didn't last very long. Come on back. Come on I blame back, my Mikey. wife. I, I blame my wife for the previous two nights. We had a dinner party on Saturday night, and then last night we had some family over, so I drank again, and then I can't pass up free booze at the paid paid for yeah. by the PGA, so I had to drink that. Just you have to do that. Yeah, so, I mean, I, mean, I don't an think option. anybody would. Yeah, I don't think anybody would uh, would yell at you for that. I mean, you're just doing your part. You're growing. You're growing the game. Yeah. I'm growing the game. A couple cocktails. (laughs) If Phil Mickelson can say he's growing the game by taking a $200 million buyout from the Saudis, I can say I'm growing the game by taking some free booze. So, fair. All's fair in love and war. Very fair. That's right. So, I'm here tonight. More teaching and coaching seminars tomorrow. Um, But, Jay, how are you? What are you drinking? Uh, I'm, I'm great. I'm great. Happy to be here. Nice Monday. I mean, it is what it is. Another day, uh, another another. I know we'll get into it. Another John Rom win. So I mean, this guy's just beating everybody's ass. But uh, yeah, I got a, I got a little bourbon today. I mean, I'm trying to kind of keep it light. Um, but you know, I feel like I need to have a bourbon during the podcast. So I've got a 1792. It's kind of that's been my go-to small batch. Go. Yeah. So nice. it's good, easy to drink. Uh, I had I had a couple beers at the at the free open bar, and then we a couple of guys and I we went out and talked shop over dinner and had a couple of old fashions with some some Knob Creek. So I, I'm now on water because I ran up to my room because I was late to to meet you and they just had some Lansdowne Resort water bottles. So that's currently all I have in here. I didn't. It's, that's I don't come prepared thing. with the Corona lights like McLean does when he's in the hotel. <laughs> he's a more seasoned traveler than me, so he's ready. I just you know I forget about all these little details. 
Um, what did you guys? Uh, uh, what, what's the what's the news on the street here? Talking shop with the PGA PGA pros. Anything anything new that we need to know about in the in the teaching world or in the, the golf merchandise world? Uh, you know, the merchandise world is is there's a lot of things going on. A lot of different companies out there trying to make their way. Um, every club's a little different on on what their clientele is and who who they're trying to sell to. But yeah, I had a great um, Preston Combs talk today. For those of you who don't know Preston, look him up on social media. He's a I guess he's younger coach. I call him young. I feel old now, but he's, he's younger than me. He's a, a putting guru. He's now out of Orlando, Florida, was in, in New Jersey and then uh, California for a little while. But he had a great two hour talk on on putting and uh, kind of some of the things he focuses on. And um, yeah, it was it was it was great. He, he's I've I actually played golf with Preston years ago before he was hot shit. And now he's hot shit. So um, what, um, what is it? What's this kind of thing with putting? I always love hearing about these putting coaches because it's such a, you know, with putting is such an individual thing for most players, but there is room for improvement and there is, or there, I should say, there are ways to get better, um, little, little ways. And it's hard for people to really, to conceptualize, Hey, if I can, if I can, you know, make, you know, two out of 10 putts from 20 feet, I'm getting, I'm, I'm gaining strokes on the field where it's like hard for people to even conceptualize that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, what, tour, tour average from, from 10 feet is 40%. Yeah. So I mean, what are, what are the amateurs that you and I deal with on a day-to-day basis going to make and what, what should they expect? And I think my, my favorite part about Preston is he doesn't have a method, you know, like yeah. any question he was asked today, it, the best answer from a coach you can hear is if someone gives you a blanket question and wants a blanket answer, if the coach answers, well, it depends, that's the right answer because we're dealing with yeah. people, yeah. right? Every, every person is different. Everyone has different tendencies. We set up different. We hold the club different. We have different putters. We're on different greens. And, and so there's no no blanket statement. You know, he's he's like a lot of coaches. His His big thing is speed, speed, speed. Yeah. You know, there's, there's three, three things that to make a putt, you got to have speed control. You got to read the correct line and then you got to hit it on that line. Right. So speed read in direction. If I was to focus on one with students, it's, it's speed because from 15 feet, we're going to tour average says they're going to make 20 to 25% from 15 feet again. So what is an average amateur going to make one? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. if, if a guy can have the right speed, so he talked a lot about working on someone's baseline as far as their, their tempo, their rhythm, their speed control, the length of their stroke, get them to have a kind of a baseline from, from 10 feet. And, you know, there's, there's different philosophies out there of how far past that ball should average from a 10 foot putt. We really never want to leave anything short, but we want to have our average of our dispersion to be about a foot past the hole. Mm-hmm. And that's that's his assumption. That's kind of my belief. I'm okay with, you know, 18 inches or so. But you start, and he's right. If you start factoring in 18 inches as your average, then that means you're going to have something that's going to be two and a half feet. Well, if you're an amateur, and you're not scooping it, and not your partner, your buddies aren't saying that's good, you're going to miss right. some two and a half footers. Yeah. Right. And so, it's 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 different, right? There's no there's no blanket answer. There's no perfect perfect stroke. There's no well, I, straight I like back, straight that. through for this guy, or an arcing for this guy, or you I know, think, face balance um, putter for this. 
Yeah, no, I I, I agree. All the, I haven't, I don't, I don't know this this guy. I haven't seen him yet, but I'm curious. But all the things that you said match up um, with kind of you know my view on putting. I've always said you need to have a consistent stroke to be able to hit the ball on a consistent start line. And once you can do that, then it's a lot easier to start to dictate or predict your speed. And then once you can do both of those, now you can start to read greens. You can't really read greens without doing those two first. Like if I don't have a consistent stroke where I can hit my start line, uh, then I can't really get speed control down because I'm hitting the ball all over the face. I've got, you know, I'm, 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 I've got different start lines, right? And and now the ball comes off different. If if you're hitting up on it one time, hit it off the toe, off the heel, that's going to dictate how how the ball comes off the face, and it's going to dictate the speed or the consistency of the speed. So if I can have a consistent stroke, and I can and say consistent stroke, which leads to a consistent start line, then I can start to uh, have a feel for speed. And then once I have a feel for speed, then I can actually start to read greens properly as it pertains to my stroke. Like, you know, that you probably see this too, you know, anytime you you know play with some of the caddies at your club or anywhere else, if you have a caddy, you know, they try to read the putt for you. I'm like, well, I was like, I, I really, I, I get that they try to read the putt for you, but really it should be very simple. Like, can you tell me if it, breaking right or if it's breaking left that's really all i need at this point until you play with me enough to know my stroke and know my tendencies then you can start to you know add your own little your color to it but really it should be is it straight is it breaking right is it breaking left and then after that it's up to me to determine because you know i may be doing a lot of uh, little different things here with my stroke and my start line um so, I mean, really, it, it, like I said, it, I, I like the, the fact that this guy is saying that because it once you once you look at those things and you determine those factors, then you can start to dig in like, OK, what maybe we should change your putter to to or, uh, you know, start to work on your stroke a little bit to help you hit that start line. Or if you if you have a good if you have a good start line, you're hitting the ball in the center of the face. What can we do to get you better with with controlling your speed? And then then we can maybe move on to, hey, you're doing all these things well. You're just not doing a very good job of reading these putts after giving all this information. So um, that's cool. This this guy sounds it was, like he, it was funny. He's, he's, doing. he's he's a big aim point guy. So he's aim point certified. He teaches aim point express, which he, it, for our, our listeners, if if you're watching a PJ tour coverage and, and Max Homa, who's been on tv a lot he does aim point express so you'll see him kind of straddle his line halfway through kind of feel it with his feet and then he'll stand at his golf ball and he'll put up some fingers in front of him and, and what he's trying to do is if he's putting up one finger it's one percent slope if he's putting up two fingers it's two percent slope if he's putting up three fingers it's it's three percent slope and he's putting that at the edge of the hole on the on the high side or in the middle of the hole towards the high side of the putt and the far edge finger, whatever it may be, one, one, two, or three, that's where his aim point is. And you do have to calibrate how far away your hand is from your face. This is kind of hard to talk about over a podcast and not visual, but it, yep. it's going to affect, you know, the, the faster uh, the green speed is, you have to pull your fingers closer to your face. So then gives you a more break. If you're playing at a golf course with slow greens, you, you push your hands further away from your face. So there's, there's not as much break, but he did this interesting um, study with some of his players. He has uh, one of these indoor putting greens that moves and shifts. It's computerized and he can basically move it to any percent slope that he wants. And it tracks the, the digital 
line of the golf ball. What's the perfect line? What's a high line? What's a low line? And he had players look at a 2%, 10 feet, 2% slope putt, one breaking left to right, one breaking right to left. And people do not see it the same way. It's 2% slope. Physics and gravity says that ball is breaking the same exact amount, just in opposite directions, whether it's left to right or right to left. And he had he used he showed a video on one guy on a left to right putt. He had picked like 12 inches of break, but on the two percent slope of right to left, he only had four percent or four inches of break. That's crazy. And now, granted, a player can do that and actually make it if they have a push or pull bias in their stroke. They can actually calibrate themselves to know, hey, I have a push bias, so on this right to left putt, I'm only seeing four inches of break. But when I actually hit this putt, it's going eight inches of break. On the left to right, I have a push bias. So I'm looking at 12, but because I push it, it's actually starting on eight inches of yep. break. You yeah. Know? And so would, it's, and it's pretty say, fascinating stuff. I think I think that stuff is is so cool. I mean, I you know, we've talked about David Orr. He's he's down in um North Carolina. Um and he he's been on you know in, back and forth PJ tour a lot of players work with a lot of different guys and you got Brad Faxon uh, who's not quite as technical I would say David maybe a little bit more yeah. um, you have Mike Shannon who you haven't seen in a long time but he was a very uh, uh, technical you know one of those putting coaches but you know they all you know have their theories and and how things work but um, and it's all has to, a lot of it has to do with like you said it's it's individual to the player and, and how their eyes you know look down at the the putt for instance if I'm a right-handed player hitting a right to left putt uh, most I w- I'm not going to blank and make a blanket statement but I would say most players tend to play more break on a right to lefter if you're a right-handed player because they want to push the ball uphill because they feel like they have more of opportunity opportunity to make the butt. And the vice versa for a right-handed player with a left-to-right putt, they typically aim too far to the left. Or they should aim more to the left because they tend, just because of the way the angles work and we're on a, you know, the way the putter arcs, you have a tendency to leave those putts out to the right. Not not all players, but I'd say most players tend to on a left-to-right putt push the ball you know, down the hill and they miss it low. So they should be playing more break. They don't, I'd say, I would say they, I may correct this. They don't play enough break on a left to right, but they should be playing what they feel is more a break on a left to right. But if you're a right-handed golfer, and obviously that's vice versa for a left-handed golfer. I mean, that's just, you know, that's again, that's physics and looking at how the, the, the way the stroke works and the fact that we're on a an inclined plane, let's say 70 degrees, and you've got 70 degrees with a putter with three degrees of loft, and now the putter's opening and closing, you know, going back inside and then closing. Um, I know we're it's getting and we're getting pretty technical here, but it, yeah. you know, in a roundabout way, a right-handed golfer, the the tendency is for that ball to start with loft on the putter and with the putter swing back to the inside because it's natural. If you miss it just the littlest, the smallest amount. Most right-handed golfers are going to miss the ball to the right um, for a left-to-right putt. So they tend to, like I said, they tend to aim more uh, to the right to push the ball up the hill to give them a chance to make it. But they should be aiming more left on these on the left-to-righters. But those are the little teeny things, you know. And if, if like you were talking earlier, if you have that consistent stroke, and then you use, um, let's just say you use uh, the perfect the perfect putt, or is it, is it the perfect putter? What is what is it? Is perfect it called the perfect putter? putter? 
yeah, with the ramp on the start of that restarted that company yeah. with the, that um, you just basically sit there and drop a ball, um, and it puts a, a very perfect even roll on the ball, and you start to, guys start to see, wow, that ball breaks way more than I thought it did, you know, or or vice versa if if it's a right to left putt, but that's um, that's that's some of the things that. Or some of the things that will change, you know, somebody's view once they have that, that good putting stroke and that consistent putting stroke. Now they start to read greens like, wow, I'm I'm not a very good reader. I've got a good stroke, but I don't read greens well. But you can't get to that point until you do, um, until you do this well, first too well. My favorite thing with the perfect putter is it shows someone how fast that ball comes off of its start line. Yeah, a lot of times when people read a green, they're they're like visualizing the break and they're looking at the apex and they think they need to start the ball at the apex, the break. No, no, no. That's not even yeah. close to high enough because yeah. if, when you use a perfect putter, I do a, a little thing where I'll take six golf balls on a, you know, call it a 15, 20 foot putt and I'll stop each ball kind of one. The first one will be closer to the hole and I'll stop each ball closer and closer and closer to the perfect putter. And when you see where the, perfect putter is lined up in the start line and how fast that ball is coming off of its start line. It's oh, yeah. within the first foot, foot and a half. It's pretty much off the start line and already breaking. So if you're thinking of the apex as your aim, as your aim yeah. point, it's too low. Yeah. Depending on the, so, the putt uphill or downhill. So you get slow greens and uphill putt on slow greens, that apex moves closer to the hole. And on a downhill putt on fast greens, that apex moves, like you said, very, very close to, very close to you. So that that ball yeah. starts to get off of its off of its start line very quickly on fast greens on a downhill putt, um, and it's opposite yeah. on slow greens on an uphill putt. You know, but that those are the things that when you're putting, you're over the ball, you don't see that as well. But when you're standing ground level. And you can st- even stand behind, you know, the perfect putter and watch the ball roll. Like, oh wow, I'm not even I'm not playing nearly enough break. And most, yeah, I would say, break. most players don't play enough break. Well, kind of like what you were saying, as far as how early or how late is breaking off the start line relative to uphill or downhill. Yeah, it's because it's funny. We we say uphill putts are slow, but the golf ball is actually moving the fastest on uphill putts. Yeah. which is why it holds its start line longer when a downhill putt, which we all perceive as a fast putt, the ball's actually moving its slowest. Therefore it breaks off its start line earlier. Exactly. exactly. And the other, the other thing Preston's I wanted to say that Preston was talking about is there's a bunch of myths and misconceptions and generalities. We love generalities in the golf world, especially if you watch golf channel, read golf magazine, golf digest, watch YouTube videos. There's a lot, a lot of generalities because it all depends on the individual player. We're all human. We all do different, different things. If you say, Hey, I'm going to use this putter because I want a face balanced putter does not mean that putter is going to make you swing it straight back, straight through. Cause you can manipulate that. If I grab a putter with its heel shafted because I want a lot of a toe flow and a lot of face rotation doesn't mean that's going to happen. If I want a, a thick, big super stroke grip, to take my hands out of it doesn't mean I'm going to have less face rotation. So it's, yes, there are generalities out there that may apply to 75% of the population, but we're human. We can do things. It's very easy to manipulate it and use all hands with a massive super stroke grip. 
And so you have to test it. And like what Preston says, he he's a putting only coach. And so his first appointment with people is three hours long. And he said the first hour is just him testing the player on different putts and how he sets up and learning what is this player's tendencies. How are they moving their body? How are they setting up? What's their eye line? Where's their hand position? All these things can factor into it. So it's not as simple as, oh, I want to take my hands out of it. I'm going to go get the biggest super stroke grip that there is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's for, you know, it really is for all, all aspects of golf. And I mean, in a way it's, 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 it's fun for golf because there's more, there's more information at your fingertips. Um, so you can always pull stuff up on YouTube or, you know, whatever social media you want to, any, anywhere you can pull up a, a, a coach or a teacher given a tip, but in the same token, it's made it really difficult for players to get better. Um, you know, you know, this, I know this, you know, teaching and, and having students and, you know, maybe you have a lesson with them a couple of weeks prior and you give them some very clear instructions. Hey, you know, you need to work on these two things with these two drills. You know, if you can do 30 minutes a day, you know, for four days a week, maybe 45 minutes a day, depending on how much time they have to practice. If you come back to me in two weeks after doing this four times a, a week, we're going to see some progress. And then they show up and, well, you know, I did that drill, but I, you know, I did it for about a, you know, a couple of days and I, you know, I got it. So I, you know, then I was on YouTube and I saw this teacher was telling me, you know, if I have this problem, I should do this. And I'm like, that teacher cannot see you swing right now. They don't know you. They don't know anything about you. They don't know what your tendencies are. They have no idea who you are or what you, what you do with the golf club. And now you're going to trust them to give you a swing tip and you're going to go out and spend more time working on this one swing tip than, than the time that I had it. We, I say I, but we had a, a individual lesson with you and gave you some very personalized information and you're going to bypass that to go to this, you know, quick, you know, easy, you know, tip that you saw on YouTube. And it, and that's, that's the, that's the hang up with people and, and, and progressing in golf. One, we're not very good learners when it comes to golf because we're looking for a magic, magic bullet, you know, our magic pill. And they don't understand, you know, how, how long it takes to make a, a change in a motor pattern. You know, I mean, think how long it takes for somebody who's had a stroke to learn how to walk again, or to learn how to use their hand again, uh, or whatever it is. It takes uh, for some people they never get it back, but it takes so long, and 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 people just don't understand how difficult it is, and they just think they can do it in a split second. Well, and even even take it to an an everyday thing. And I had a coach way back in the day tell me he was like I was just kind of I was like kind of a young adolescent, you know, a high school kid, and and I was pretty good for my area and but he was teaching me something i didn't like it it didn't feel great and he's like do me a favor when you go home tonight take a shower please and i said okay and that. he goes when you get in the shower he goes when you wash your hair what hand do you grab the shampoo bottle with and what hand do you squirt it into i said like i grab it with my right hand i grab it with my right hand i squirt it into my left hand he goes okay tonight when you go home, grab it with your left hand and squirt it into your right hand and see how long it takes you to make that feel normal and a habit. And it took mm -hmm. me 
forever. I immediately went to reach. We all have things that we do in our life. We, we right. walk into our bedroom and we turn the light switch on with a certain hand. We train ourselves for these motor patterns and everything that we do in life. And to change that is very, very hard. And I remember actually one time I had a cast on my right hand. I'm right-handed. I had a wrist issue. They casted me for 10 weeks. So I basically had to learn to do everything left-handed for 10 straight weeks. So I had to start my car left-handed. Talk about awkward, feeling funny. The first week or two, I actually reached with my casted hand to try to turn on. Like, oh, well, shit, I can't do this. But as soon as that 10 weeks was over, they took the cast off. I walked out of the doctor's office and I turned my car on with my left hand. Yeah. I had the use of my right hand, but I had retrained myself now, which at one point I had to think about, I had to think about, I had to think about, felt weird. I then had to, oh, wait, oh, no, I can actually use my right hand again to start my car. And yeah. so now that's something as simple as squirting shampoo in your hand or starting your car. Now imagine the complications of making a golf swing where there's eight different moving parts going on at the same time. It's pretty compound movement with multiple, I mean, your whole body is being used. So yeah, no, I, I, I that's a great analogy. And, and, and I wish more people understood that I, I it, 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 it's so difficult to make those changes and it really has to start with, you know, the, the simplest of motions and the slowest of motions. I mean, I always use the analogy, you know, when you're a baby, um, you learn how to roll over, you know, Hey, I'm like, just need to roll over from my back to my stomach and then learn how to crawl. And then I learn how to take my first step. And then I learn how to go a little faster. And then I learn how to almost run. And then, uh, then I learn how to sprint, you know, how long do you think all that takes? You know, you don't really start sprinting until you're maybe, you know, as a kid, maybe, maybe four five, and you really are start, starting to move. Now, granted, I know there's some, you know, there's some physical limitations in size, but again, it takes time to learn how to do those movements. So what makes you think you can learn how to change your golf swing um, in, in two weeks? It's just, it's, it's silly. Like when you put it that way, people yeah. are like, Oh, the fact of the matter is they just, they're not willing to put the time in. That's what it comes down to. You yeah. they're not disciplined enough or, to put the time in. Or they completely misunderstand what you say and misinterpret what you say. And they work on the wrong thing. Or that that's that occasionally that happens. I will say there's some people I would say majority of the time the people don't they just don't put in the time. I I mean there yeah, are they don't some give people, it enough they don't give it enough time. They don't, they don't give it enough time, time before diagnose and oh well this I'm gonna work on this instead. Yeah, well, hey, I, I just want to do that. I, I tried this and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but this feels really good. I'm like, okay, well, then I, I can stop you right now. It's wrong. I already know it's wrong. Yeah. This for the fact that you didn't do what I told you long enough, you know, and I hate to sound so critical, but that's, it is what it is. And I'm, I'm no different. I mean, I've had, I've had, you know, great teachers oh, yeah. and, and I've, I've had the same and I'm, I was trying to play competitive golf, but still learn, you know, how to do a new movement and it, it's difficult, you know, and you're, I'm, you're putting the teacher in a tough spot too, because, you know, we judge a lot of teachers. Now there's some teachers that are not great, but there are some really good teachers, great teachers that have bad students. And we try to value a, a teacher based on what a player does. Well, maybe you just, they weren't not very good students, you know, so it, you can't judge a teacher on every student. You know, you have to look at them in the grand scheme of things. You know, you look at somebody like Butch Harmon, you know, it's great that Butch Harmon, you know, coach Tiger Woods, uh, Tiger's one of the best learners in the history of golf. <laughs> so he he had a leg up on that, you know, 
Um, and but then you look at some of the other players that work with Butch and and had su- had success. And you go, okay, maybe it's more than just he had the best player to ever play. Uh, he had some other guys that he he made them better. So it it it's it's a tough it's a tough gig to be a to be a teacher. You're totally dependent on on how well your student can listen to instruction and can apply it and learn. That's it's a tough gig, you know. A teacher well, teaching in I've general. Always- I've always said too, the toughest part about golf is it's the only sport where the coach is not there for every game and every practice. Yeah. Right. Think of, yeah. Name, name the greatest coach of any sport. I'll just name coach K with Duke. Right. Yeah. It's like he had one practice with the guys and then the rest of the week he says, Hey, I'm just going to roll the balls out. You guys figure it out. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's That's what we do in golf. Like the, the, the instructor, the instructor works with a student for an hour once a, every two weeks, three weeks, once a month, once every four months. And in the, in between they're by themselves. And that's a very dangerous place. Sometimes we're like a lot of times when I'm with a student, I'm trying to get them trying to teach them how to practice what I'm almost half the time is like, okay, here's some feels, some thoughts you need to use. Here's a couple of drills, try to figure out which one work works best and, and just do it over and over and over again, because I'm not going to be here to be able to tell you. I have some students that they make a golf swing and they immediately turn around and look at me and wait for, is that good or bad? Well, I'm not going to be here at all times to tell you if that was good or bad. You have to figure it out for yourself, whether it was good or bad and not the result was the swing good or bad. Cause you can, you can make a shitty golf swing and have a good result. You can make a good golf swing and have a bad result. So depending upon what we're working on. So there's not, you know, no, I, I agree, hundred percent. That's, yeah, that that's a that certainly is a, the really the difficult part about being a golf instructor is that you're right, you, you you're not with them at all times. You, you're you're teaching them to teach themselves, you know. And I always refer back to, um, which is a little different than some of the other sports, you know. Like you mentioned, you know, the coach is there constantly, you know, on you. Uh, they can take uh, like a football coach, basketball coach, they can take some of the, the analytics and some of the analytical side out of, out of the instruction. And they can take some of the conscious thought, right. Where, you know, say a quarterback's working on his his mechanics, he's there with the, the quarterback coach and they, every throw, Nope, not it. Do this. Nope, not it. Do this. Nope, not it. They just, they have the feedback from the response from the, the teacher. Whereas, in golf, you're trying to teach them how to recognize and teach themselves. And w- what are the cues? How are you going to get feedback to whether you did it right or did it wrong? Do you do you have some external cues that you can use, uh, whether it's tra- training aids, video, uh, track man? I'm t- teaching you how to teach yourself so you can have... Um, you know, that sense of self-discovery, like I said, I've, I've used Dr. Tella quite a bit, but that was the one great thing that I, my time with, with doc was that it wasn't like, okay, I need to go see doc. So he can tell me what to do next. It was, it was like a, it was a coaching session, not to make me a better golfer, but make me understand my game and coach myself. So it was constant awareness. Yeah. Your awareness of what's good, what's bad. And, and that way, when I was out on the golf course, I knew like, ah, I know exactly what's happening right now. This feeling of what's going on and this um, in this situation, we've talked about this. This was going to happen. And this is how he taught me and trained me to think for myself and to and to have that that sense of self-discovery, which is very important in golf. 
maybe not as important in some of the other sports, but in golf, like you said, your teacher, your coach is not going to be with you in every single shot at every single tournament. So you have to be able to do this for yourself a little bit. Now, I'm not saying there's not a need for coaches, but because that's obviously not, not true, but they, Oh no, you have to coaches. Yeah. You have to be able to learn how to teach yourself and then be able to, you know, uh, be be able to analyze that the right way and give the feedback back to the coach so you guys can work together. But um, I don't know. It, it, that's that's a that's a tough part about this game with the instruction side. It's completely different from from most sports. Um, and I know a lot of people have said it's overtaught. Like the golf swing is overtaught. And I could I can maybe say that the at certain times the golf swing can be overtaught, but not playing golf. Like, I don't think playing golf is overtaught. I think that's it's a constant, no, you're no, constantly no. learning about how to play with different lives, different situations, how to handle your emotions. So it's not overcoached. Golf is not overcoached. Maybe certain aspects of the golf swing are over, over overtaught. Or Maybe over the mechanics are that. overcoached. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I have, I have another, another thought I'm workshopping here. John Rahm's really good at golf. I just I came up with that on my own. It just you tell me if I'm wrong or not. That's pretty. pretty well, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty I, I think in, it's, inspiring, inventive, and I think you it's really good going take. out on a limb. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good take. As we'll, let's get into the the, uh, the PGA Tour coverage at, at Riviera. I think John Rahm's pretty good at golf. I'm just gonna have to say that. Um. This is the kind of knowledge you get here in the Merge Nine Golf yeah, Podcast. I mean, we're really it's some mind blowing shit here. Um, I um, yeah, I was looking at some. So what, of the... what was your take? What was your take? So Ron wins at at Riviera. He's now number one in the world. Scotty Scheffler was there for all of one week. Uh, yeah. Rom is on a fucking mission. He's on a, he's on a mission. I mean, we we did say that a couple a couple weeks ago, the start of the year at the Century. <laughs> Um, he, he just looks like he is angry in a, in the right way. Um, and, and this is, if that makes sense, he's, he's the type of player that he plays off of that kind of, I don't want to say negative energy. Cause it's not negative, but like, like driven, I guess is the better word. He's just got, yeah, he's got yeah. a, a sense of drive right now that I haven't seen from him. And he's playing with a purpose. Like he's like, I want to beat the living shit out of every person that I play against. Um, and he's he's doing it. Um, he's, he's doing, doing it. it. He's doing it. And I mean, yeah, I, I'm looking at. He's one of the the few players out there. I mean, there's a handful of guys, um, but the, he really doesn't have a weakness right now. Uh, I mean, he's one of the best drivers of the golf ball. One of the longest. He's an incredible iron player. There's not a single shot that he can't hit. And he's he's got a, a great short game. And he if he's and he's never been a bad putter ever. Uh there's been times where he's been a little streaky, but there's never been a time where you're like, oh man, he really is not a good putter. Never. I mean, you could you could argue like, oh, he's not making any putts, but there's never a time where he's standing over a, a putt and you're like, um, yeah, he's got no chance to make this like you would for like a Will Zalatoris from like five feet in, like never, or even like yeah. a Rory. I mean, and I'm, I'm a huge Rory, Rory fan, struggles. Rory struggles. I mean, that's obviously we know that wedges and, and putting are, are some of his, those are two of his biggest weaknesses. If you can even say there's one, um, but from st statistically speaking, those are his weaknesses, but 
Rom, you know, he's getting to the point here in the last, you know, has four or five months where there's just really no major weakness at all, um, which is kind of fun. No, I mean, so last last year he struggled with putting for him. And that's why he had a little bit of a down year. His ball striking was still pretty good if you look at his numbers. But th- this year is so strokes gained T to green. He's third strokes gain um, off the tee. He's seventh strokes gain approach. He's eighth strokes gain around the green. He's 22nd strokes gain putting. He's 10th strokes gain total. He is number one. His worst stat right now is around the green and he's 22nd. That's pretty good. That's going to amount to about nine and a half million dollars since January 1st. And I would say, you know, again, this is something that we'll probably dive into this too, because some quotes with new decade and some of the players and how that's helped them, you know, but I would venture to say for John Rahm, you know, not his strokes around the green probably come from him, you know, pushing the envelope because he hit, He's hitting the ball so well, attacking a few more pins, short-siding himself a little bit more than some of the other players because he's that good. So for him, he's like, it's worth it. It's worth it for him when he's playing that well to take a few more risks and then let's say somebody else, you know, I'd say like a Keith Mitchell, who I was going to refer to. And you saw the the quotes where, where there were Keith uh, made some comments about how he's changed his game work and, you know, taking on the, the, the decade golf system. Um, and we can go into that, which I think is really cool. Um, but again, John Rahm is in a position where, He's hitting the ball so well, driving the ball so well. He's probably attacking a few more pins than maybe most players should or or tend to do because he's he's playing that well. He feels like he's got that much confidence. So I understand the the stats say hit to the middle of the green almost every club. Find this shot that you like that you can consistently hit and hit the ball to the middle of the green. Um, but when you get to a level like that, um, you go back and you look at somebody like Tiger Woods. Um you know, in the early 2000s and late 90s, he was a guy who always worked the ball off the middle of the green. Now we don't see as many guys, you know, curving the ball as much as Tiger did. Um, and a lot of people would argue, Tiger, just hit hit one shot, hit two shots that are really comfortable for you. Um, and I get that, but there is a, there is something, there is a, a rhyme to his reason. He always worked the ball off the middle of the green. So he knew, and he was disciplined enough to aim at these spots, he was like, okay, pins back right. I can hit this little cut shot. I mean, at the middle of the green, if I don't cut it, it's in the middle of the green. If I do cut it, it's perfect. The chances of me overcutting this are very slim. So that's why it's a good play for him. Same thing when the ball's back left. He's like, I can hit the middle of the green. I can draw this in. That was the way he played, and that gave him confidence because he was working the ball off the middle of the fairway, whereas other players don't have all those shots um, or, or, as, or, or they're not as confident in those shots. So they're like, hey, I got to go with what I have. And we heard, um, you know, we heard um, um, uh, Max Homa say the same thing. He's like, hey, I, I, I saw Tiger can hit all these nine shots. And, and if, if the listeners, if you haven't heard, you know, this, the nine shots and hit the ball through the nine slots in the window, the high draw, the high cut, the high straight shot, the mid, the mid cut, the mid draw, the mid uh, straight shot, and then all the way down through the bottom, you know, the low shots. Um, and Tiger can hit all of those anytime that he wants. There's not a whole lot of guys out there that can do it with the consistency that Tiger can do it. Um, So a lot of these guys tend to cut that in half. Hey, I like to hit a cut um, with my long irons. 
I, I'm not going to try to hit a draw. I just won't do it because I'm, I'm open myself up to a lot of miss hits and, and it's easier for them to say, Hey, I hit the ball straight. I hit a little cut. That's what I hit with my long irons. Now I get to the short irons. I can hit, you know, anything that I want, but um, there's something to be said for that. I mean, you know, the decade golf system is, is pretty cool. I mean, sometimes it, get, it maybe can go a little too far in my opinion, but overall, I think it's, it's pretty neat. And you can see, I mean, with, and I, I'll let you comment on both of those guys, but Keith Mitchell, you know, missed however many cuts last year and then started working, you know, with um, what's, what's the gentleman's name with decade golf. Uh, Scott Fawcett. Is his Scott system. Fawcett. Um, so I don't know if he worked with him directly, but he started doing, you know, working with the, the decade uh, golf system and made, and he's made 27 in the last 33 cuts. And I mean, and Keith Mitchell's, if you watch him play, he's obviously an uber talented player. I'd say his biggest weakness is, is probably his putting, but drives it as long as anybody hits it pretty straight. Great iron player. Doesn't ever really miss hit it. So you're like, why, why is this guy not hitting more greens? If he never miss hits it, that's because he's probably hitting the wrong shot, the wrong club aiming, aiming, you know, improperly, if that makes sense. So yeah. once he cleaned that up here, he is contending almost every week. Well, yeah. One of Scott Fawcett's thing is don't really work the ball and and just hit your shot and do it well over yeah. and over and over again. And and you saw it with Max Homa yesterday uh, on Sunday, the final round on 13, where he got in trouble. 13 at Riviera is really the only hole you really have. You just absolutely have to turn it over. Yeah. There are a couple of holes that maybe bend slightly left, but you can still, if you're a fader, you can still kind of play your fade and you're okay. 13 is a pretty hard dog leg that these guys have to turn it over. It, Tiger struggled on the hole this week because he just likes hitting that slap cut. And Homa was taking it up over those trees on the left edge and fading it back into the fairway all week. And then on Sunday, he got up there, little pressure, hangs onto it, hits it straight into the tree in front of him. It goes, what, 200 yards off a tee, maybe not yeah. even. You know, he ends up making bogey there and kind of gave Rom a little more life. Homa had a one-stroke lead going into that hole you know, uh, with a couple of birdies and Rom had made a couple of bogeys. And, and so, yeah, I think what a lot of what Scott teaches is, is fantastic. It's, it's, it's different. It's a little outside the box. It, it, it tries to, it tries to break some myths and, but a lot of it makes like perfect common sense oh, too. When he starts I think breaking down the numbers. I think it's great. It's you're like, you listen to him talk sometimes and you're like, Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, like, it's just like, why haven't I thought of this? Like, that makes sense. It does not like groundbreaking things he's coming up with, but it's just like, he's like, hey, guys, like, let's just hit yeah. the middle of the green and yeah. let's just go with the flags of, of the shot shape that we have. And it, if, you know, we're in a scoring area and there's no trouble around, yeah, we go with the flag. But, and he's okay with Scott Fawcett's a guy, a guy that he he wants you to find your dispersion with whatever club it may be. And let's just take off the tee. So we find our dispersion and how wide our dispersion is with our driver. We try to get our center of our dispersion in this kind of safest spot. And so Scott Fawcett's okay with you hitting it in the rough. If you're on a hole, if you're a fader of the golf ball, like myself, you're on a hole with, let's say it's either water. Or it's a little dog leg, right? But there's water or OB right. He was like, he'd be to, to me, he'd be like pretty much, have your aim point down the, the, left, the left edge of the fairway. If it, if you happen to pull it a little bit and it goes in the left rough, fine. If the right side of your dispersion goes into the fairway, awesome. 
we're yeah. not on the water or we're not OB or whatever it is. We can live from there. We can play from there. And so like when I teach students, it's like, it's not always about, I have to hit every fairway. Is, yeah. is your angle okay? Do you have a shot? It's okay if you're in the rough. Yeah. If you're on a hole, especially that you might be a hard if you, if you have trouble driving it on a certain hole or there's a lot of tr- bad trouble on one side, it's okay to be in the rough on the other side if it's giving you a shot towards the green. You don't have to be in the fairway. Yeah, I mean, if you look back in the history, uh, let's just say in the last 70 years, what two players played golf that way? That, that ended up being the most dominant players that we've, we've seen. I mean, Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods, they always talk about the center of the green. And for them, I mean, I, I again, I'm, I'm, I'm dumbing it down a little bit, but they always tried to work the ball at the center of the green. Now, Tiger curved the ball a little more, and a little bit, little bit of, of the way they played uh, was dictated by the clubs and the type of ball. You know, the ball was very spinny. Yeah, that factors into it, yeah. You almost had to curve the ball because that helped you eliminate one side, and it still played into what – with Scott, what Scott tries to teach now, the ball just doesn't curve as much. So, you know, it just gets a little tighter, but I mean, Jack Nicholas, I mean, his whole thing, and he always hit for the most part, hit a cut. I mean, he could hit any shot he wanted to, but he typically hit a cut. And he was like, if pins left, I mean, I'm aiming at the pin, trying to cut it to the middle of the green. If I pull it or if I, let's just say I don't pull it. Cause he, it was, I'm going to hit it straight. Hit a straight ball. I'm, I'm on the pin. If I pull it or if I cut it a little too, if I cut the, if I cut the ball and it goes to the middle of the green, I'm fine. If I overcut it, I'm still on the green. Um, and he would do the same thing for a back right pin. He'd aim in the middle of the green. If I hit it straight, I'm in the middle of the green. If I cut it just right, I'm just left of the pin. If I overcut it, I'm still, I'm right on top of the pin. So again, the, and Tiger was the same way. Tiger hit, I mean, it, he played the most conservative golf of anybody and everyone and if you go back and look at the scores that he used to shoot he would just wear people down because he hit so many greens and he obviously later in his career didn't hit very many fairways but again he knew what his miss was and he played he played to the correct side of the fairway based on what his miss was and where the pin was um on the green so if he knew he had a back left pin and there was trouble left bunker in front of the green he's like oh i was like i i know i'm blocking the hell out of the ball right now i'll just aim down the middle of the fairway if i hit it straight and i hit a good shot i'm good if i hit my big block right i'm in the right rough and i'm stronger than everybody else i can hit my you know eight iron and and run it up and still give myself a, a you know a 20 foot birdie putt i'll go on to the next hole i'll go to the par 5 where you know again I've got an I've got an advantage over everybody. So these two guys did it better than anybody, and they're probably one. They're probably the most conservative players to play. Yet they, between the two of them, they got 30, 33 majors. You know, um, yeah. And then you've got the other guys who you know super aggressive, and they may they may get hot and shoot a 62, 63, but they follow it up with a seventy four. And you're like, okay, you're not going to win majors doing that. Well. And that goes back to your fact that you talked about earlier about changing voter patterns. If if you're a fader of the ball or you draw the ball, whatever it is, just kind of stick to that shot because in order to change the flight of the golf ball curving the opposite way, you have to change your motor pattern to get that club delivering from a different path. It's the yeah. only way the ball really curves properly the other way. And so these guys have realized, hey, it's really hard to do under pressure. So if I know I can hit a cut, and it's going to cut every time or at least live in that those field goal posts of a straight ball yeah. or a big cut. And I know how to position my field goal post, which I talk a lot about with my students 
is let's just live in that one side of zero. We're talking in this TrackMan world of our path numbers. Let's live on that one side of zero and know how to position our field goal post of where the start line is, where we want that ball to ideally curve to. But if we could just hit it anywhere in there, we're fine and we know how to position it. And these guys know, well, yeah, this, this hole's back left. I can't change my motor pattern that much on the 17th hole of a major to yeah. try to get that thing back there. But I'm going to hit this thing to 25 feet, and if I make a putt, awesome. I'm going to two-putt, make a par, and a majors, that's good, and these guys want a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, so. it's just, I don't know, that stuff's super cool to me, and it's I, I think that's that really digs into how to play golf um, and, and less about, like we talked about earlier, less about the mechanics of the golf swing. Now, there's a time and a place for it. You know, certain people need – you know, certain things to get better, to allow them to have that consistency, to build a consistent yeah. swing, to be able to even ha- be able to, you know, hit the ball to aim at the center of the green or aim at the the correct side of that goal post. But once you're out playing golf, that's, that's where your focus should lie. And how can I predict my next shot? How well can I predict my next shot? And if I know I can hit it straight or it's going to be a cut or maybe too much, mo- too much of a cut, I can play golf that way, you know? So, um, I don't know. It's neat. I always, I always enjoy, you know, listening to any, any little tidbit of information that he puts out. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. Um, where are we? John Rahm. They're both good at golf. I think that's what we were. Um, what, what were your thoughts on tiger? I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about Max Homa and, and John Rahm already in the last few weeks. Cause they've been up there one, a bunch. They've, they've, have both won. John Rahm won three times. Now, what are you this week? I, like I texted you guys. I underestimated him. I said on this podcast last week he was going to miss the cut. I thought he was going to be rusty coming back on a tough golf course. And the guy was one of my heroes, but he proved me wrong again. He looked yep. way better than I thought he would. He's 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 walking better than I thought he would. There's less of a limp. Yeah. You know, his his ball speed was was way up there in the early part of the week. If you paid attention to his ball speed on Sunday, it was way down. He went from like 180 to 170. And so you can yeah. tell his ball was bearing down uh, yeah. on Sunday. It just, just wasn't there because he just – he even said in one of the, the post-round press conference, I mean, he can't use the ground forces to create any speed. It's it's core strength that's doing it. And when, you, when you're not used to walking, he has not walked four days of golf since the masters i think it was last year yeah. right because pga he wd'd after the third round he missed the cut at the open championship and he has not walked 72 holes of golf since the masters last year we're talking almost a year so his body just tired his core got tired and his, and his ball speed came down but he looked way better than i thought he was going to yeah no, I I agree. I mean, I, I will say that I don't think we were too far off in our in our assumption of that that tough draw. He did come out and play. He played well on Thursday, um, and we did see him struggle on Friday morning. Um, so I just think our 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 thought on what he would shoot in both of those rounds, we were just a little bit little bit higher so I, I was I was guessing that yeah. that that first round he'd shoot maybe even par you know, a couple over and then really struggle early in the morning, but he played decent, played well on, on Thursday afternoon. And then he actually, he actually played. I thought he played well Friday morning. He didn't putt very well and missed a bunch of little putts. He putted, he putted awful. 
He can't, yeah. he hit it well on on Friday. He just putted awful, and then he got tired towards the end of that round. And yeah, he'd what three of his last four. Yeah. So you know, I I do think you know if he can, I I think building up the stamina. I think I understand he's got some limitations with with uh, with leg injury and obviously the back surgeries that those certainly don't don't help. But um, if he can continue to walk, I mean, it's just like anything else. And you can stay in the gym and work out, but you train your, your muscles, you know, to do certain things and walking is part of it. And on a, in, in, you know, on the PGA tour. So he he's going to have to build up that stamina a little bit if he wants to compete for four rounds. So, and the only way he's going to do that is to walk and play in play in tournaments. So I would love to see him play, um, you know, one more event before Augusta, but it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. sounds like he's probably just going to hold off until, until Augusta, but I th- I think it would be in his best in his in his best uh, more beneficial for him to to play one more event just to continue to build up that stamina to see how his body feels after you know walking thirty six holes. How can I do if I make the cut? How can I do on Saturday? How can I do on Sunday? What things do I need to do to accommodate for me getting tired or my leg being sore? Like what types of you know type types of swings do I need to make to get the ball in the hole? Um, so he's only going to figure that stuff out by playing in tournaments. You're not going to figure that out by playing, you know, with your buddies at the, at, you know, at, at, uh, in Jupiter, um, at medalist when you're riding in a cart, you're not going to figure that out. You're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be tested. So, you know, I, I, I understand that he's got, he works hard and, and he's, he keeps, you know, he keeps seeing all these, these, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're memes, but they're like little clips on Instagram, you know, him talking about if you don't work hard, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve to, to get the reward. And, and he's right. But I think now he needs to change that focus into, if you want to win golf tournaments, then you need to play in golf tournaments. So I, I mean, I'm not coming down, I'm not trying to come down on him, but I think in the, in the end, if he wants to play in the majors, cause he likes to play in them, uh, he's going to have to push through the pain and play in more tournaments leading up to him so he can be ready to handle that in a, in a four round tournament. So it's yet to be seen. Hopefully he does it. I'd like to see him play in at least, you know, 10 events a year, 12 events a year, you know, uh, you know, outside those four majors, if he were to get eight tournaments, um, that would be, that would be a pretty good schedule one for, for the viewer, because I think we, it, everyone would love to see him play in some of these events, but two for him to even have a chance to really compete, um, he needs to play, he needs to play more golf. And that's always been a thing with him, you know, especially in the last 10 years, he just, he just doesn't play. Um, you know, yeah, he's again, gonna be with the competitive reps. Yeah. He's got to get the competitive reps. Um, you know, in, like I said, in the, in, in the tournament under the gun, how's your body going to handle all of these limitations that you have? I know it's hurts. I know it's painful. Um, and he, he probably looks at it like, Hey, this hurts. I, I can't do what I once did, but, I think he, I think he still has some some fuel in the tank, but he's going to have to push through it. Um, and 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 I'm, you know, I'm not like I said, I'm not trying to <laughs> criticize him. He's these Tiger Woods, but you know, I think deep down he knows that if he wants to win, a, you know, a major, one more major, and if he wants to have a shot, he's going to have to compete and he's going to have to play in some of these tournaments, and he's going to have to he's going to have to be in pain. Um, and you know, I, again, I hate saying that because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not Tiger's coach by any means, but I think he probably understands that. And it's just a matter of whether he can convince himself to do it. Uh, it's just, it's just, God, it's, it's just fun to have him back in and around. And I mean, the, the, 
crowd. I mean, it, was, it was Saturday afternoon. Max Homa and John Rahm are on the second green. Tigers on the other side of the golf course. He makes a birdie putt. And the roars went up, and the leaders have to back off their shots because there's a, a roar. And I was like, when do the leaders have to back off? Normally, the leaders are making a putt, and somebody else on the other side of the golf course is backing off. But because that other guy on the other side of the golf course is, is Tiger Woods, he's got way more people following him, the actual leaders of the tournament. And we're talking about two top 10 players in the world. One is yeah. now the number one player in the world, have a quarter of the people following them as Tiger Woods, who's nowhere nearly. It's just, yeah, it's 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 just fun to have him back. I'm not talking about tampons tonight. We're going to take that for another day. Other podcasts can talk about that. That is not for me. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to talk about Tiger's yeah. golf. That's a, that's a lose-lose. That's a lose-lose. Not talking topic. about that yeah. one bit. So, you uh, know, I, I, without even going into any of that, I, I, other than the one thing that I think is just a bummer is how – I mean, not a bummer. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, this is Tiger's life. But how the littlest thing can be—I say little because it was. It was. It was obviously a, whether you like it or don't. If you agree with it or don't agree with it, think it's funny. Think it's you know rude and and ridiculous. I'm not making a comment one way or the other. But the fact that you can zoom in on on what he's doing at this in at this day and age every is just like of. Every moment. So it's like, hey, dude, you, you, I will say you chose to, your tiger. So just be ready for it because it's there's a camera on you at every second. Every second there's a camera on you, which, you know, some yeah, people there's... would disagree and say that's not fair. And then other people would say, look, dude, you make a couple hundred million dollars a year that somebody's going to want to watch you. So you can go both ways yeah. with it. But but yeah, we can yeah, we can skip over that. Like I said, I think that's a that's probably a lose lose no matter how you look at it, no matter what you say, somebody's not going to agree with you. <laughs> no, yeah, we're gonna. That's what we're talking about. Gate, I hear from the Emergency <laughs> Non Golf Podcast. So, um, let's get to a little, a little live discussion. Um, I wish McLean was here. I really do. You, I want you his know, take. His. How about I do this? How about I get a bourbon and then we come back and we talk live golf. <laughs> All right, go get yourself a bourbon. I'm another <laughs> bottle of water, and we're gonna come back and talk. It's gonna golf. get really crazy. All right, so we're back. Jay's got his bourbon. I get my fresh Lansdowne Resort water bottle here. Talk a little live. So on McLean's circuit this week. They were going <laughs> to launch all, or last week, they were going to launch all of their teams and players. We were promised back in the fall that there was going to be dra- uh, trades and free agents and all this kind of stuff. We haven't really heard any of it. They actually have an event this week. They delayed four team announcements until today. So we just found out today who some of these teams are because they're scrambling at the last minute to try to sign some guys. And yes, I'm going to find any little thing to turn negative with live. And this is negative. They were desperate. <laughs> they're trying to get any player possible from the PGA tour to sign. And so they didn't know what the teams were until today is what I believe. And I'm hundred percent certain on that. So a few of the guys that have made their way over from the PGA tour, 
listen to this murderer's row of players <laughs> we have um, that has moved over from the PJ Tour. I apologize to all the Danny Lee fans out there. You will not be able to see him on the PGA Tour anymore. I apologize to all the Brendan Steele fans out there. You will not be able to see him on the PGA Tour. Please download the CW app if you do want to watch him play golf. Uh, <laughs> we did lose Mito Pereira, who most people, we like him on this podcast. We picked him a lot early last year. If you were to walk into most girls' 19th holes at golf clubs around the country and ask people who Mito Pereira is, they'd probably say the guy who choked at the PGA Championship. He has moved over to live. Um, Sebastian Munoz, and he kind of runs in that same, you'll, you'll know him as the flex seal guy. He's got the big ass flex seal uh, advertisement on his golf shirt. He's buddies with Mito. He's buddies with Carlos Ortiz. He's buddies with Joaquin Neiman. The four of them kind of run in. Um, they travel together. They live together. So it's kind of natural that all four good buddies, the, the Latin Americans, South Americans uh, are, are, at live now. I think they're on various teams. Who the fuck knows? Uh, <laughs> uh, I I can't. I'm sorry. I apologize to the Dean Burmeester fans. You now have to download the CW app to watch him play golf. I know there's a bunch of you out there that listen to this podcast, but mean Dean Burmeester is on Team Stinger now with the South Africans. The biggest name, if you will, and I don't think people even realize how good he is, is Thomas Peters, who's not a PGA Tour member. He's a DP World Tour member. He's 34 in the World Golf Ranking, so a pretty high-ranking guy uh, as it relates to the live roster. He has now migrated. He made a comment this week that he loves Riviera. He couldn't get in the field. Some people are using that as the reason why he went to live. I'm not sure that's the case. Should he have probably been in that field? Yeah, but he's also not a full PGA Tour member, so he would have had to get a sponsor's exemption. Could he have gotten us? Would he have been a better sponsor's exemption than some others that got it? Yes, absolutely. But it's not like he's a full PGA Tour member that couldn't get in this field. So some people are making a little bit bigger deal of that. And so yeah. we and, now and have the sponsor exemptions. You know, just to clarify, it. it sorry, it, it. It's for these the sponsors of the, the tournament to, to determine who they want. It yeah. may make no sense to the viewer. Um, like, Oh, this guy's ranked, you know, 20th in the world. Why didn't he get a spot? Because the sponsor of the, the tournament has a, a, a young guy that they sponsor that they wanted to get him into the tournament. And that's who's going to play. And yep. it doesn't believe me. If it, if it worked as only the best player played every week, you'd never see any of these young college kids getting sponsor exemptions. It always would be, you know, a guy that's, you know, a PJ tour player who just missed out. And, you know, that's just the way that it works. So unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, it's not always the best player that gets those sponsor sponsor exemptions. Um, it's could there's Correct. a lot of different factors yeah. that go into it, but um, yeah, I mean, I would say you're right. Uh, Peters is probably the the best player of that bunch. I mean, and we don't see him over here because he doesn't play on the PJ Tour full time. But um, and I mean, it really didn't for a guy like that. I, I don't see why he wouldn't didn't do it earlier. He can still play the DP Tour. And he's playing for right for right now. For right for right now. I mean, granted, with the situation they have, he can still play in the off weeks if he wants to play DP World Tour and still get world ranking points and 
get take take advantage of all the money uh you know you know good good for him so I mean, and he's not really losing anything because it wasn't like he was a member of the PGA Tour anyway. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how that all. And, and there out. is for those of you who haven't followed, and most of you probably haven't followed the legal proceedings. There is a case in Europe that should be decided. I think it's this week, maybe next week, on the fate of the DP World Tour. So, the lawsuit from the for the live golfers against the DP World Tour. They were granted a stay. They can play while this lawsuit's under whatever. Um, I'm too tired and buzzed to think of the <laughs> word right now. But uh, they're they're allowed to play right now while this case is going on. There's supposed to be a ruling coming down uh, either this week or next week to determine the fate of those DP World Tour players. So Thomas Peters right now can still play. Ian Poulter, Sergio, Lee Westwood. Those guys can still play DP World Tour events on their off weeks unless this judge or court rules that they cannot in a week or two. So that may change here soon, um, but they are, yes, still allowed to play. We did have some other movement. Um, Matt Wolf is now on Team Smash. We all know Team Smash also as uh, Team Kepka, with Brooks and Chase Kepka and Jason Kokrak, and now Matt Wolf. Uh, there was some other movement, and I really don't care enough to go over the rest. But... Um, yeah, so this is the first event this week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Download the CW app. Make sure you favorite that on your uh, on your TV so you can catch that um, in between Gossip Girl reruns and Buffy the Vampire Slayer this weekend. So, yeah. Um, uh, so I, I will I will say I will comment on on the the live stuff. Um, I I do like I will say I do like the. Uh, the commercials are are kind of cheesy but funny um and it does look like they put a little bit more time and money into trying to choreograph and produce these these clips um so that is there's something to be said for that and i i do like that they're at least trying to get some consistency with the teens teams and promoting the teams um so you know there's still a lot of missing parts and a lot of loose ends um but for the viewer again i'm just whether you like the PJ tour or the live tour, if there's another golf tour with other top tiered players, which they have. Okay. Give me a reason. Why should I watch them? You know, other than they're making money, cause I don't care about how much money they're making. Give me a product. That's going to make me want to watch what's going on. So again, I think their only, their, their only uh, path to, to, greatness so to speak is if they really dig into this team thing and try to get people to to dig in you know to, to buy into it um and they're trying to i think they got a long ways to go but at least they're laying it out these are the these are the team members you know this is what the names of the teams are uh, again i think you and i definitely agree that we still need to see some consistency in terms of you know what wh how wh what how do you get on the tour? Like, is it just, you just pick whoever you want? How do you, you know, can a player just get kicked off? You know, just more, more uh, details in terms of how the tour is run. Like, I think that's what with, with other sports, 
you know, you get excited about, you know, the NBA basketball, NFL football, because you know how many games there are going to be in a year. You know what the process is. You watch the NFL draft. You watch the NBA draft or NHL. Same thing. You you not only do you pull for a team, but you know the rules of the game. Right. You know what makes it what makes it work and you know how to follow it. You know, and I don't really watch soccer. Um and that's not because they're, those athletes are not incredibly great athletes. I didn't grow up playing soccer. I really don't know the intricacies of the game um, as much as other people. So I don't really know the strategy. I don't really get into it. I don't know the teams, you know. And that, again, that's not that's not saying that they're not incredible athletes and, and it's not a great sport because it is. It's the most popular sport in the world. But the the fact of the matter is there are millions and billions of people, I should say, that follow soccer because they know they know the layout. They know the teams. They know the they know the rules. They know the ramifications or of not playing well with relegation for some of the some of the leagues. They know what it takes to win. They know how to acquire players to sell players. They're into it because they know all the rules. Um, and I just say not just the rules of the game, but they know the rules of the, the league. And right now yeah, we don't how the teams have formed. Those. Yeah, we don't have those yet. And I think that's where there's so many uncertainties. Like, I don't even know how to pull for this team because I don't even know what what's next. Like, how can they win? Like, how do they win the league? How do they how, how can you be the champion? Yeah, like, how did the range goats get Taylor Gooch? What did they give up? Did they mm-hmm. I mean they now did they have to give up like a couple bags of like Pro V1 range balls? Like, what was the trade? I don't know what the trade was, but they now have Taylor Gooch on the rain goat. So if you want to go to their Twitter account, you can watch uh, Bubba Watson buy like a sheep if you want. And that might be fun for you. So, but we don't know you know, what they gave up for Taylor Gooch. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's, it's kind of what we're looking for. I mean, I mean, maybe they do a draft. I mean, that would, I, I mean, I don't know. That, that would be, would be the cool. best thing they could do is to actually do a legit draft and have like actual free agency and have actual trades, which they said they were going to do, but they don't ever really follow through what they say they're going to do. And it's pretty clear that they're still trying to build the plane as they fly it. And it's, I thought that was last year, build the plane as they fly it. Cause that was the beta test. That was yeah. the first season. And this is the real first season, but it's pretty clear they delayed the del- the announcement of four of these teams for three days because they were still making the teams yeah. leading up to the first event. So I don't know, but what I do want to know is who is your team, Jay? And we're going to go through this. Have you done this on their website? Yeah. Oh yeah. On their website. Oh, oh which team that I, who, who's my team? Who do I pick? They have, they have a team picker. You take a quiz on various oh, no. questions. Oh no. I haven't done this that. live. I just... Oh, let's do it. Let's All do right. it. I mean, I know, I know my team that uh, the team that I'm pulling for because it's it's you know it's all of my guys. I mean, the high flyers. You know, I mean, Phil Mickelson. I mean, how do you not pull for Phil Mickelson? The high flyers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Cameron Tringali has got a huge following. I mean, so I Cameron Tringali, popular team. Hey, James Piat. Chris, Chris Paquette. Friend of the pod. I don't know if you're listening, but Chris Paquette caddied for me in multiple Q schools where we played with Cameron. Tringali, and this is no shade on Cameron Tringali because he's been on tour for I don't you know that I, the the last year we played at Q School he got through and he's been out there ever since so he's obviously or he was up up until now obviously a great player but <laughs> Chris would get we'd get done he's like this guy is 
this guy's going to beat you? I was like, you're letting this guy beat you? And I'm like, well, I, you know, what, what can I say? I mean, he's whatever reason, he's finding a way to get it done. I mean, good for him. But anyway, right, yeah. Well, here we go. So right. if you go to the Live website, there's a, a nine-question quiz. I'm going to give you the quiz live here on the podcast. Okay. And it's Let's going to determine it. who you who you root for. You ready? All right. I'll, I'll do ready. it as I'll do it as well after you. Okay. Okay. First question: What motivates you? Winning, improvement, teamwork, or fun? <laughs> winning. Of course, it's winning for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, what else would it be? man in America. I can't. <laughs> all right. I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this answer. Which animal do you most identify with? A bear, a dolphin, an eagle, a wolf, a ram, or a stallion? Uh, it's got to be an eagle or a stallion. Um, I'm going to go eagle. Eagle. Okay. That's a weird. Which, what, the, what the hell does that have hey, to do with? Wait, there's, there's, a couple, there's a couple other ones here in a second. And you're going to be like, what the? Which shot gets you out of your seat? The booming drive, the pin seeker, the spectacular save, or the unmakeable putt? I would I would say the unmakeable putt just because it's the it, it's the finalizing shot of a hole and that's tournaments are won on the on the big putt at the end of the end of the round or end of the okay. tournament. So yeah, remember there's no wrong answers here, Jay. Just no, I, I'm just team. validating what why I'm picking these. You know, it is a it is a damn podcast, and I and we got to talk. So I'm, I'm filling I'm filling how space. Do you, how do you celebrate a winning putt? A composed wave, team high fives, a fist pump, or do you go wild? Uh, I like the team high fives. If I if I'm on a team and I make a putt, and I'm I'm. I'm hamming it up with my teammates, you're, you're even dap- like a best ball up. match with the buddies. Like if I make a putt, I'm, I'm getting after it with my buddies. Yeah. All right. All right. Now this is kind of tough to answer. Pick your ideal golf course. Maya Coba, which is where actually they're playing this week. You know, the course you've played it. Um, the first event this week is at the Maya Coba where they typically play PJ tour events. The other is Sentosa. Not positive where that is. I think it might be in Korea. Cedar Ridge, which is in Oklahoma, or the Grange, which is in Australia. I mean, Pick I'm your... going to go with the only one that I know that I've played yeah. in Mayakoba. Okay. Sorry. All right. What what color speaks to you? Blue <laughs> slash this is cool. ridiculous. Red slash warm, green slash light, or black slash dark. Ah, say that one more time. What was the first one? I missed that. Uh, blue slash cool, red slash warm, green slash light, or black slash dark. What'd you say? Blue. All right. Yeah. My my internet's was being funny. All right. What's your golf shirt style? Classic, striped, patterned, or loud? I'm moving to patterned these days. Patterned. Okay. Yeah. All right. What music gets you in the zone? Hip hop, rock, country, dance, pop, or classical? Gets me in the zone. I'd say dance music gets me dance. gets me okay. jacked up. Let's go. Let's make cool some birdies. EDM. Yeah. All right. All right. Last question. 
what are you ordering in the 19th hole? Sorry, what are you ordering in the 19th? I think it means 19th hole. <laughs> a, a grilled a grilled cheese sandwich, a chicken club sandwich, a barbecue pulled pork sandwich, or an ice cream sandwich. Chicken club sandwich. What the what this is this is ridiculous. This is gonna determine All what right, team you ready? we should pull for. Sure. This is gonna determine what team. You ready? Here we go. Last question. I'm gonna submit it. Oh man. You are a fan of the cliques. The which cliques? As, as everyone knows, is captained by Martin Keimer with Bern Wiesberger, Graham McDowell, and Richard Bland. Might be the worst team in live. <laughs> Bland should be the captain of that Bland team. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's a real cliques. team. That that's a real team. That's a real team. That's my Keimer, the cliques. That's my... McDowell and Bland. That's the cliques. I do, that's I do like McDowell. Yeah. Those dudes are cool though. I, McDowell's a cool dude, and Keimer's a cool dude. I don't know. I don't know Richard Bland. Is Keimer a cool dude? I'll give you I'll give you McDowell's a cool dude, but I'm not sure Keimer's a cool dude. I think I think Keimer's kind of a I think he's a quiet dude, but I think he's a I think Keimer's a, pretty Richard Bland. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. so I guess, right, I, I'm gonna do this. I guess that's I'm, who I am too. <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do this real fast for myself. Let's see here. Uh, I gotta start over. How do I do this? All right, team pick. Wow. All right, well, All right. then I'll get it. I need go... the, cliques, the cliques shirt. What what motivates you? All right, winning. Uh, which animal do you most identify with? Wolf. I'm a fucking oh. wolf. <laughs> which shot gets you out of your seat? I, I love a good, spectacular save, up and down, tough chip. Um, how do you celebrate a winning putt, composed wave, team high fives? I'm gonna go same with you, team high five. Give me a little fist bump with my with my buddies. Pick your ideal golf course. I don't really know any of these other than my Cobo, but I'm gonna go the Australian one just because I like that kind of firm and fast style. What color speaks to you? I'll go blue like you did. Shirt style. I'll go striped. Music gets you in the zone. Hmm. I'm going to go hip hop. What are you ordering in the 19th? Still a weird question. 19th hole. I'll go chicken club as well. Chicken club sandwich as well. My team is fuck the majestic liars. Majestics. The majestics. The team that has three captains for some reason. They can't pick one captain. They have three captains. Henrik Stenson, Ian Poulter, and Lee Westwood, with Sam Horsfield as the fourth. That is the worst team to be. To, to... Oh, God. <laughs> what are you talking I mean, about? A like... bunch of a bunch of these. That's like the premier freaking live team. Ian Poulter. <laughs> yeah, all the washed up guys. All the, all the washed, the washed up, DBs. up. Oh gosh. It's like that, that old is... saying. They have, they have. Why do they have three captains? Like it's an old saying. Like if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. If you have three captains, do you even have one? Like yeah. I, I don't think you do. No, you don't. Oh, you got don't. the majestics. Seriously, I'm not buying a T-shirt from them. <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Ugh. Anyways. Any more, any more live 
Liv talk no. after that little no. little quiz there. I, I was gonna read like the team like mission statements, but I don't have time for that. I, my brain can't handle that right now. It's you did enough. You we did we did much. a we did a silly you know questionnaire to figure out which team we would pull for. Um, I couldn't believe it when, when someone posted that they were doing that the other day. I was like, "Oh, we're doing this on the podcast. This is going to be great." <laughs> it actually is pretty funny. It made it makes zero <laughs> sense um, the logic I, behind those questions, but um, yeah, I will. So, so there the you go. So all of our listeners out there, if you want to know who to root for this weekend, uh, make sure to go to the live website and take their uh, team picker quiz. <laughs> and uh, you can go buy yourself some team gear and just root hard when you're watching the CW app on your phone. But all right, let's let's get into this week's event. We'll do our little uh, DraftKings picks. McLean beat us again. That son of a bitch. Yeah. He uh, he won. So his season total is 55 points. I came in second last week. Uh, I am in second place as well for the season long at 45 points. Jay came in last, and he is also in last place for the season long at 42 points. Uh, we don't have McLean on here again to do his picks live. Um, I did these picks in about this week. McLean gets zero points this week because he wasn't on the podcast. So Yeah, I mean, when you're not on the podcast back-to-back weeks, you can't get yeah. full points. I agree you can't, you're going to get just zero. Right now. Yeah, you get zero, and first place gets five. We'll go five and eight, or five and three. Yeah, this, for this is total points. We'll we'll name this the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast Elevated Event for us, and we just took a vote <laughs> two to one. So elevated McLean loses the vote. <laughs> Sorry, McLean. Uh, uh, elevated event it, <laughs> with the worst the worst field of the year so far. This field is awful. At the Honda Classic, we just come off of two elevated events. These guys want to take the week off uh, before Bay Hill. We are at Honda, very, very tough golf course, PGA National, which uh, most of you should be familiar with. It's been on the air forever, the Bear Trap, 15, 16, 17. And I'm going to go real fast. I'm not even going to give you reasons why, because I made this team in about four minutes because I had zero time uh, to do this. So... I'll start at the bottom. Uh, $7,000. Aaron Baddeley has made a decent amount of cuts. feel like he could keep it in play, putt well at this golf course. There you go. Then I'm going to go up to uh, $7,500. Joseph Bramlett, friend of the pod, been playing well this year. And there you go. $7,600. Ben on. Just, I like him. He's funny on Twitter. So I picked him, and he's been playing decent. Then I could go up to uh, $8,400. Harris English had a good um, event last week. I feel like he could play well on a tough golf course, just kind of keep it in play, play steady, and have a high finish. My man, who I've been picking a lot, Thomas Dietrich, uh, $9,000. I think he's a good game that can really travel and play anywhere. And then uh, this win- the winner this week, who's going to get some revenge after last year, $10,400, Mr. Shane Lowry. Mm. Shane Lowry, Sugar Shane. Um, nice. I, I was staying away from Sugar Shane. Um, I, I did I, I, I did read a lot about him. And I, I like the fact that this is a, a tough golf course because he plays well here and he plays well on tough golf courses. 
I know he played he's played poorly as of late. Um but uh, he had a good finish this past week. He did have he did have a good finish at Genesis. I don't know I say poorly yeah, top fifteen this last week. But yeah, I mean I I did look at him hard. I was like, man, he just loves golf courses like this. So he probably will play he well. He lives near lives nearby. He plays well in the wind. He does. He does. Good good track record um, there. So we had a lot of a lot of similarities there. Um, which is funny how you know there's a hundred is it, is it 156 main field or yeah, whatever it is. It's like how how are we getting that many guys that are similar? So um anyway, I'll start from the bottom. Um at 7,300 uh Brandon Wu. Didn't play well the last uh, last week at Genesis, but you know made the cut at uh, Waste Management. AT&T finished second. You know, again, he's kind of a lower tiered guy, but he's made nine of thirteen cuts this year. Swings it really well. I mean, I, I watched him at um, at Pebble. He, I, I was impressed. He played well. Um, so we'll see. Um, and moving up to 7,500, uh, Joe Bramlett, again, playing some really solid golf, nine of 11 cuts. You've already mentioned his name. So uh, we're, you know, friend of the pod. We're pulling hard for him. Hits it super, super long. Um, I don't know if that makes a huge difference out there. Um, but, you know, with Link, with Link, um, it may, you've got shorter clubs in some of these holes. So that should certainly help him. But uh, jump up to uh, 7,900, Ben Griffin. Again, um, missed the cut. Uh, well, he may, I guess, did he officially make the cut? Um, no, he missed the cut at, at Pebble, but prior to that, he had a bunch of top, uh, top finishes, a third place finish at uh, during the fall. But he, even this year, you know, 31st at the Farmers, 32nd at the American Express, and 12th at the, the Sony. So, um, for that price point, you know, if I can get a, a made cut out of this guy, that could be, could be good. Um, then I jump up to not really anybody in the top tier. I've got again two guys or three guys. I'm sorry that I think are or should make the cut and 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 accumulate some points. Adam Svensson, 8700, one Q school here um, in 2015. I was actually played in that that event that year. Played with Adam, um, and I know his game fits this golf course just because he hits the ball very straight. Um, just a and you need to you need to hit the ball and, and play there, and you need to have control over your ball. He doesn't; he's not super long, um, but he he's got really good control over his ball. Greens are, are are kind of squirrely, I think. So putting is is not quite as important. It's it's hitting fairways and hitting greens here, and he's he's very good at that. Um, coming off a good week too. Coming off a good week last week, um, and then it's Thomas Dietrich. Same reasons that you just mentioned: uh, nine thousand eleven eleven cuts made. Um, just this this guy's kind of came out of nowhere you know, in the last you know year, not even um, playing some good golf. So we will uh, we'll see how he does uh, on the bear trap. And then last but not, last but not least, at ninety three hundred, Mister Matt Kuchar, again super steady player, played well last week. He's been playing some decent golf as of late. Again, drives the ball really straight, uh, really solid iron player. Plays plays these tough golf courses really well. Um, I feel like, and again, I, I, I've got a formulated team, you know, that I don't know if any of these guys will actually win, but again, when the field is this kind of poor, any it's anyone's game. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if we have a guy 
that wins, you know, that's, you know, way down the list, you know, ranked a hundredth in the world, you know, something oh, like absolutely. that. So, cause this golf course is, it really, it doesn't favor any one specific part of, of your game. It's more of a mental, a mental test, in my opinion, um, you know, a great ball striker. It, it doesn't, it's not a guarantee that they're going to play well. Uh, I think you have to be, you do have to be a great ball striker to play this golf course well, but you have to be just be mentally tough and know that you're going to get some bad breaks. Um, you, you're going to get some wind. You're going to, you're going to hit a good shot. That's going to end up in the water and you just have to be able to slough it off. And so try to pick some players that can handle that type of heat. Um, so we'll see with, with all the the grandstands that they're putting up there, we just got a text from our good buddy, Danny Ellis, uh, friend of the pod and, and he obviously is is contracted to to outfit you know at least what they've got maybe 12 to 15 contracts with the pga tour to do the grandstands and maybe more than that um maybe more than that I think most, most than... events have it that, that deal with the nbc broadcast for whatever reason he does have a crossover and he, he does the us open <laughs> and he did what he does waste management which cbs had this year but yeah it might be more than 15 yeah. But anyway, he sent us a, a, a cool little snapshot of how how big these grandstands are getting on some of these holes on the bear trap. And I almost commented, I was like, man, I wish if we had had those grandstands back in 2015 at the final stage of Q school, the wind wouldn't have affected my ball in 17. And I probably wouldn't hit it in the water. And who knows? I may have gotten my, my card that year. But um I mean, it's pretty incredible the stuff that they're doing. And I mean, I mean, around around you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and obviously eighteen, the par five. But it's it's really cool. I mean, it's every year it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it should be. It's a fun. I know you went. Was it last year or two years ago? You went. Yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, my family lived close, so we went to the Bear Trap. Uh, Danny was nice enough to get us tickets, and it's a cool little. It's a. It's the seventeenth hole is kind of a mini you know, 16th hole at, at Phoenix that they're trying to do there, there is water on one side, so they can't completely close it, but you can, you can kind of hang out in between. You can see two holes really easy. The the deck, you can walk between the 17th tee, the 16th green. And it's a, it's a, it's a cool little setup and they've built it up even more since, since I've been there a couple of years ago. So it's um yeah, it's fun. I, speaking of grandstands real fast, going back to the Riviera, how about that break John Rom got? He's got he got two massive breaks. Yeah. What was it? Was it Friday or Saturday on 17? He hits it off the grandstand. It bounces the par five to three and a half feet. He basically taps it in for an eagle. The thing's yeah. gone. He's gonna have a, a hard time getting up and down for birdie. And he makes an eagle. And then the next day, I think that was Friday, and then Saturday, he hits it into some unknown area that's surrounded by tents and trailers and all kinds of shit and it's an tio and it's free relief it's like yeah that's what happens when you become a number one player in the world to win a tournament you get a couple breaks you want wins by two and there's easily two or three or four shots right there when you're playing well you know you, you you make your own breaks right luck is where preparation meets opportunity and he's obviously preparing himself for to or, be number one preparation meets a grandstand. Yeah, I mean, you could look at it that way. But he's he's definitely <laughs> he's definitely doing it. He's getting some he's gotten some good breaks for sure. He has. Uh that that one on, on I think it was Friday afternoon. 
when he made Eagle. I was like, I mean, he yeah, short sided that... himself. He blocked it right short sided with no green to work and with. If, if that, if there's no grand there, six like six feet. It was. Uh, I looked it up in the shot link. It was. It was three feet eight inches. It bounced to. Oh, yeah. There you go. So uh, take take them when you can get them. Yeah, take them when you can get them. I guess so. These these pros have uh, a few advantages that uh, most of us do not have because we don't have galleries and grandstands. Those things yeah. are not there when we play, and the ball just goes further and further away from the hole. Yeah. Um, I will say I'm not picking John Round this week. I don't think he's going to win. I don't think he's going to win either. That's right. a great take, Jack. No. That might be the best take of the So, day. I mean, I'm fine. You know, everyone's like, okay, it gets to the point where it's like Rom or the field. I'm, I'm taking the field this week. So, there you go. Good job. Helps Next week, he's when he's back he's playing at Bay Hill, I'll take John Rom again because <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's in Arizona hanging out hanging with his out family with this week. So, good for him. Yep, absolutely. All right, brother. Anything else? We're good. I was just, I will say we're just, uh, I picked Lonto last week and he, I was actually just texting him just a few minutes ago. He's, he had to pull out again this week with the, apparently it's a rib injury. Um, so wishing him the best. He's, he's had a rough go the last, you know, six to eight months there with, some you know back issues. Finally got back, played well in his first event back at uh, at Tory, and then now he's fighting another injury. Um, so uh, I did again. see that he was out. That that stinks. That's yeah. That that's tough. And I will say this to to our listeners: um, we haven't talked about how we're gonna break down the the full swing show on Netflix. Uh, this show was obviously a little. Uh, put together in haste with with no McLean and, and myself out of town, but uh, we will figure out. Make sure you watch it if you have Netflix. Watch it if you don't have Netflix. Get it and watch it. I, I actually haven't watched the whole thing yet. I'm halfway through the series, but um, we will we will kind of be talking about it and break it down. But maybe we'll we'll give everyone another week to to watch a few more so we don't have any any spoilers uh, in there. So um, yeah. But without further ado, um, Jay, you're heading out of town. Have fun on your trip with my wife, and we'll see everyone next week. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.